So we're in Mark chapter 7, lesson 6 in your books. And and I've I've grown to appreciate um, this verse. I like to start it with lessons just because um, I think it's important to really think about before you listen to teachers, and that's Acts uh, 17.11. Now these were, and we'll back up to 10 just so we can get the reference, the uh, brethren... Uh, immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went uh, into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, these were more noble uh, than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were true. They didn't just take Paul and Silas's word for it. They didn't take anybody's word for it. They, they sought through scripture to determine that what is being told to them is biblically accurate. And so I encourage everyone to do the same. Don't take my word for it because as a human, personal opinion can slip in. So if you didn't hear me, just you can read uh, Acts seventeen, ten through eleven. That's what I just read, um, encouraging you to not take my word for it. Acts yes, Acts seventeen, ten through eleven is what I just read. Mm-hmm. And that's something. It's good to to read that or remember that anytime you listen to somebody preach, because. Uh, that's some golden wisdom right there. So, I'm going to read through all of chapter 7, and then we'll go through and break it down, uh, just so we're all on the same page, in case uh, you, you planned for lesson 5 and didn't read all of Mark 7. So, I'll read it all, and then we'll break it down. Mark chapter 7. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him, Jesus, when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, The people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching a doctrine, the precepts of man. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. 
But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have uh, that would Sorry, I lost my place. Whatever I have that would help you is Corban. That is to say, give to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, that was verse 16. Verse 16 is not in all of the older manuscripts, so you might not see it in all uh, translations. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, he, his disciples questioned him about the parable, and he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is uh, eliminated? Thus he declared all food clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornication, theft, murder, adulterous deeds of uh, coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre, and when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it. Yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Seraphonician race, and she kept asking him, to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child laying in the bed, the demon having left. Again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee with the region of Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hands on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his finger into his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva, and looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephaphtha. That is, be opened. And and his eyes were opened, and the Im- impediment of his tongue was... Uh, sorry, I lost my 
spot. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave him orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. And they were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all these things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. All right, that was chapter 7, with all my clumsiness of reading. (laughs) It's good stuff, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Now we want to break this down a little bit. Um, If you haven't already gone over the lesson, I encourage you to do so. I'm not going to read over the lesson book. I just kind of wrote my own questions, want to discuss this stuff together. We're all adults, so we can handle a discussion. Um, So 1 through 8, I'll read it real fast unless somebody else would like to read. We can... Yeah, we're in Mark 7 still. Now we're going to break it down. So we'll, we'll read it in chunks. It's broken down into one, two, three, four, five sections. Um, one through eight being that first section that we're going to digest together. All right, one through seven. Or sorry, one through eight. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him. When they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, uh, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it's written... These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the principles of men. Neglecting the the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. So, tradition is a big issue here, and it's it's really hindering the word of God. It's it's taking the place of the word of God. Um, uh, and we today have been guilty of this, or we know people who have been guilty of this, and I'm wondering if anybody has some good examples. I, I noticed, like, the cleansing portion of it, I'm like, this is what everybody does today. You know, if you go to the market and then you go home, you go to the store, you come home, you wash your hands before you eat. You don't know what germs have been out there, right? It's just, you wash all the vegetables, you wash all the fruit. Oh, you you take it the next level. Okay. I haven't heard that one. That's interesting. But we wash our hands. We don't just go out and we don't go out and play and, and, and do yard work or whatever, and then come in and start eating. Um, 
more than likely, uh, these guys' hands weren't filthy, but they probably went to the marketplace and then came back and didn't ceremonially wash their hands. And, and these guys had an issue with it. And yeah, these guys had an issue with it. This is more of a hygiene thing. You know, this is tradition. For us, it's like, oh, of course we do. But it's not, we're not today, we're not going to be like, hey, you didn't wash your hands before you ate your food. Sinner, you are not following the traditions of your parents. You know, we don't go that far. But these guys, they are. It's superseding um, God's word. So does anybody have examples of that occurring in life today? Traditions that supersede God's word. Yeah, it's it's hygiene related. But, but do we have any examples of traditions that have taken on more importance than God's word in the church today. Uh, in, in When you look at religious people uh, that claim to be Christian uh, or what have you, is there certain traditions that they take and they put it up here, but really that tradition, it doesn't say that in the Bible, and this is more important right here. We've, we've really got to discuss this, you know. Um, but the Bible's like, that's not... That's that's not, and in this instance, uh, this traditions is taking the place of God's law. They're saying that, hey, this is what the elders, this is the tradition of the elders. This is what we do, you know. Uh, but that's not what God's word says. Um, and He gives an example, and we'll get to that later about the whole Corbin thing, where it that actually goes against what God said, and then so we let traditions kind of seep in. Um, one that comes to mind for me would be like drinking wine or, or alcohol in general. Uh, a lot of people banned people for that. Like if you're a Christian, you drink alcohol. Like, oh, I know a lot of I know a lot of people that they take that stance. And it's like you are a terrible, awful Christian. You need to set yourself straight. And, and yet in Scripture, Paul even tells. Timothy, like, have some wine for your stomach, because Timothy was probably not feeling well, and, and wine had, you know, properties that, you know, you don't have to worry about having problems in your water, because the wine clean, cleanses that kind of stuff, so it's, it's, you know, but we take that, and it's like, well, that's, that's, you can't have this, you can't have this, and, and it's like, well, we really need to focus on Jesus Christ, we really need to focus on <laughs> Jesus Christ, the I have a, a kid that I used to work with. I haven't seen him for a long time, but he used to, to work with me. And he found out at the time I was a youth pastor. And so he, he had a whole bunch of questions for me because he was a new Christian. He grew up Catholic. And so he had a whole bunch of questions regarding the Catholic Church versus the biblical stance of things and, and really wanted to ask all these questions. He had a potty mouth. Oh, he, he, he swore flippantly. Now, I shouldn't say he had a potty mouth where it was like every sentence there was something. He would just spit out something every now and then, but you couldn't have a conversation with it without hearing it at one point in time in the conversation, you know. I've heard worse, you know. He's not a sailor. And I never really addressed it with him because he had important questions that needed to be answered. He had, he had questions about Jesus Christ, about salvation that needed to be answered. Language, not a problem. I'm not... not going there. Yeah, the scripture addresses every word that utters out of your mouth, but he's not there yet, you know? Um, and then one day I met with him. He's like, oh, I was reading God's word and 
I really shouldn't be swearing so much. He came to it on his own because he was he was more focused at the time on learning about salvation, Jesus Christ, what his relationship is with him, what that looks like. He wanted to grow and he was starving. And by digging into God's word on his own, he came to that conclusion because the spirit, you know, has the tendency to correct you. Not once. Maybe, maybe. But yeah, I've never I never addressed it cuz I figured it would take care of itself. Um it, it, it wasn't some, it wasn't a hill to die on because uh, because Jesus died on the hill that was worth dying on you know and so that's what we wanted to focus on when I got together with him was answering those questions and and working his way through that and if I told him hey while you're reading God's word if you've got a question bring it to me I didn't want the traditions that have been passed down to me in the church to hinder uh, what God's work what the real goal was was salvation, God's grace, God's love. Um, when when you've accepted that and you're building your relationship and you're an active disciple of Christ, you'll come to that conclusion. He'll teach you that. Amen. Jesus will teach you that. God's word will teach you that. You will slowly hone and sharpen. Um, I mean, if you get a really, really dull kitchen knife... I've worked with some really dull kitchen knives. It's like somebody tried cutting wire with them, you know? And you, you, t- you spend a lot of time sharpening it. It's just not sharp right away. And, and you don't want to rush it because then you create too much heat. Uh, you, you make that blade more susceptible to dulling. So you, you, you got to take your time on it. Um, and so you, you can't expect a, a new believer to be chewing on a steak, you know, you don't expect the baby, and I don't expect my baby to chew on a steak right now, you know, she's still on soft foods, and, and so when you're a new believer, we can't expect them to really understand it all up front, we want them to understand the important part, their salvation, and who they are in Christ. I haven't seen him in probably like five, six years. Um, I, I don't get on Facebook very often either, but I popped on Facebook a couple years ago and there was a message in there from him. And it was the most encouraging message I've ever seen. You know, he said, you know, I'm working with uh, a church today doing this, that, and the other thing. And they asked me, like, how do I have such a fire? And I just mentioned this guy I worked with at Patriot way back in the day. And I'm like, oh, that is the most, that's, you know, I could die happy right now. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm done. I've, I've reached, I've reached. That, that was very encouraging to me because, you know, I've, I've been a youth pastor, like I said. And I, when I get on Facebook, usually what I end up seeing is how far the youth I've worked with have fallen. Um, how some of them claim to be non-binary, uh, gay, uh, accepting of uh, the woke culture, um, and it's really disheartening. Some of them that uh, rail against God, um, and it's like, that, that's really disheartening. And some of which were the youth that were uh, more active, you know, the ones that were eager and hungry for God's word, um, but they were also ones who grew up in a, in a Christian home that kind of expected that of them. And, and so it was almost like they were just walking through the steps and they let the world and their friends convince them otherwise. And so it's always disheartening. So when I opened up Facebook and I saw that, it was like, ah, that was very, it was healing. That's what it was. That was healing. God knew I needed that. Um, so traditions, they, they tend to, they tend to be a big distraction. 
and um, I grew up in a Baptist church, and, and 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 there's a lot of stereotypes to Baptist churches, which my church, the church I grew up in, did not have. Um, but but I always got the questions: Oh, you don't you don't dance? No alcohol for you? No no instruments? That was one. Oh, no instruments? And it's like, are you kidding? No, we had drums. We had you know all kinds of stuff. My my cousins grew up in a church where uh, a piano was pushing it to evil. Like piano, that was like, oh, well, uh, but a guitar, oh, no, 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 no. Drums, well, definitely not. And, I, and as a kid, I was just like, but, you know, the Bible says to make a joyful noise and there's commands to use tambourines and wail on those drums and cymbals. And I'm like, how do you get past that? You know, and it was just, it was a tradition that was passed on and they just kind of accepted that and it went completely against what God's word said. And, and so it's something that I've seen in, in my youth. I, no, no, and, and, but it tends to pass on to, to, to all, the, all the churches, but there's, there's several different sects, as it were, of the Baptist church because you got like First Baptist, Southern Baptist, and, and just tons of different. Which one's the most fun? <laughs> I grew up in a Southern Baptist church that did not consider themselves Southern Baptist because of the stereotypes, um, but they were a part of the Southern Baptist uh, uh, organization. So, um, but it really—it's just like any church today. You can be a part of a denomination, but not fully agree with that denomination or do the same thing as that denomination. You can go to this Baptist church and then just go a mile down the street to this Baptist church and have a, they're the same denomination, they have the same doctrinal statement of beliefs, but the way in which they present themselves and the way in which they behave, completely different, completely different. And so likewise for E-Free churches like like we have here, you've got some that, uh, you know, they have a very woke view, and then you have some that have a very, very conservative view, and and they both are part of the same umbrella, you know. So it really, that's why when you're church shopping, you got to be very careful, and you want to make sure that they stand on God's word. And I, I'm very happy that we have a church that does so and strives to do so. They won't bend. So traditions, they can get in the way. And, and, and so Jesus is really addressing this where the, the um, scribes and the Pharisees really allowed tradition to supersede the, the written and oral law of God. Um, so he's, they're called hypocrites because they're standing on this, you know, Law of Moses, law of Moses. Oh, you know what? If if it, if you could do this to get get around the law of Moses and thereby um, breaking the law of Moses, uh, I. I I volunteer at a camp. I'm a game guy. And one of my skill sets coming into as a game guy is addressing all the rules. I'm good at finding loopholes. And, and so we made rules to avoid loopholes. And I would expose the loopholes as we make those rules. God doesn't have any loopholes. There's no loopholes. He said it. This is this is it. There's no, there is no loophole. And so... Um, and and Jesus is calling them out on this this loophole that they thought they found. Um, 
Let's push on uh, 9 through 13. Does this, would anyone like to read 9 through 13? So again, we're still hitting that tradition. And this is where we get to that Corbin. This is, we took this and we set it aside. This is for God. Now, that doesn't mean that they gave it to the temple necessarily. It just means that this is set aside for God. I'm going to use it how I want to use it, how I feel God wants me to use it. I can't use it for my parents. That sounds so crazy. I can't use it for my parents because I've set it aside for God. Yeah. And so this was the loophole that the Pharisees allowed. This is what the, the loophole that they provide is like, ah, you could just say, Corbin, this is set aside for God. And then you don't have to, you don't have to help your parents with it. But God put very strict instructions on the kind of respect you're supposed to give your parents. And this is not showing any kind of respect to your parents. Um, uh, and, and it, yeah, I mean, one of the punishments was death. And it's like, oh, well, that's kind of harsh, you know. But God said so. God's like, this is this is not something to be taken lightly. And honestly, that was rule number one. Really, when you really think about it, God said to Adam, "Don't eat this fruit. If you do, you die." <laughs> who who was Adam's father? <laughs> God. <laughs> you disobey your father. You die. And that was the punishment that he gave. And so uh, it, it really kind of sticks. And so he, he, this is something that he's, he's like, this is serious. This is serious. And, um, and the fourth commandment. <laughs> yeah. That's the, the only commandment with a promise. Mm-hmm. That you will live long in the land. And, and here we have the Pharisees trying to find a loophole around it. It, it, you, it's easy to say, you know, oh, the Pharisees are terrible. It's really easy to say, but we really got to understand that um, the Pharisees was a sect. There was good Pharisees. There was believing Pharisees. Um, so we, we got to understand that. But there was a, a large majority of them and, and that did not. And, and they were very outspoken <laughs> about it. Uh, Nicodemus comes to mind. He, he met Jesus uh, late, you know. He was he trying to hide it. He didn't want to be seen by the other Pharisees and, and be seen down upon. Like I'm going to be asking Jesus some questions because, of, and and he he says we recognize that you you are from God. We recognize that your teachings are from God. No no way would you succeed otherwise. So the Pharisees recognized that, and yet a lot of them went against them. Went against them. And Paul was a Pharisee, and the Pharisees uh, trained under um, Gamaliel. And Gamaliel, when when the, they were looking at persecuting Christians, spoke up and said, "We really shouldn't do that. Just leave them alone. We've gone after this person and killed them. Nothing came of it. All their followers dispersed. Uh, we we killed this person, and their followers dispersed, and nothing really came of it." Uh, well, let's. Why? Why do this? Why? Why go after these guys? Just let them be. If it's from God, it will succeed. If it's from man, it will fail. And that was his stance on. He was a very wise person, and Paul studied under him. Was he a believer? I don't know. I can't really say based on on what we could see, and not necessarily know he wasn't. But um, he he understood that it's if it's from God, you really don't want to go against it. And he also recognized that they were doing this without pursuing God. And this was just, they were, they're breaking our traditions. 
we gotta take him down and and that wasn't quite right you know and so not all the Pharisees were terrible people, you know, just the outspoken ones. And that, we see that in society today. It's usually the loud ones that are heard, but there's quiet ones that disagree. Um, and, and it's just that's how it goes sometimes. So how often do we see um, traditions like this um, or or should I say, rules that the churches put into play as a broad thing. There's a lot of churches, right? Christians in general that put into play uh, things that are contrary to God's word. How often do we see that? And does anybody have examples? There's, uh, <laughs> it it happens. We know it happens. Do we have examples? Uh, you really got to think about it. You really got to think about it because now it's like, it's not something we really think about. We just kind of accept that, you know, what we believe is right. I, I really am enjoying, yesterday we uh, we had um, Aaron and David here, and today they're going to be here, but really enjoyed listening to them and their tactics on breaking down what people believe and understand to be true, what is truth, uh, is truth real, you know, and really munching on it. Because things is like, yeah, we just kind of accept. We accept that truth is truth and that there is right and there is wrong. We just kind of accept that as Christians. But we also see today that people are starting to see that, you know, oh, truth, you have your truth, you have your truth. Your truth isn't wrong, even if it's contrary to her truth. Um, and her truth isn't wrong, even though it's contrary to your truth. Uh, it's right for you. And that's kind of the stance that society today is taking. And they're telling us, uh, showing us a really good way of getting around that and being like, why do you think that? How can it po be possible for one person to be right and the other person to be right, even though they both say the other person's wrong? That doesn't make sense. Um, I, I like to do a little bit of programming on the side. And when you have a code referencing a code that's referencing a code, it breaks. It doesn't work. So when you have a loop like that, it's not right. It's not going to work. It can't work. It's impossible to work because it needs real data. Likewise, if if you're you're right and you're right, but you say each other are wrong, someone is wrong. Maybe you're both wrong, you know. Uh, so asking that question and really breaking it down is very important. And so one of the things that they said yesterday was, you know, not too many Christians, not too many people, even ourselves, have really thought about what we believe and break and broken it down as to why we believe it. And so we stand on God's word. And I know a lot of people who grew up standing on God's word, and then in the end, um, used God's word to justify their sin. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I, using God's word? You can't. You can't. But, well, that's what the Pharisees are doing. That's what the Pharisees are essentially doing here when they're saying, oh, no, no, no. You say, Corbin, you don't have to give it to your parents anymore. You set it aside for God. Do with it what you feel God wants you to do with it, and everything's fine. But you can't give it to your parents because you set it aside for God, and God doesn't want you helping your parents. Even though the law of Moses says, honor your parents, right? Honor your father and your mother. Yeah. 
they're they're opposing God's word, trying to find a loophole for these guys that don't want to be respectful to their parents, basically. And and likewise, I see today a lot of young Christians, Christians that you know they grew up in the church, but are still young Christians. And they spent twenty years in the church, but they still they won't they know they know some of the you know John three sixteen. They know Genesis one one. You know they know some of the verses, but they don't know what it's actually saying. They didn't really mull it over and then compare it to their lives and compare it to society and compare it to what they're being told. They just kind of accept what they're being told. And my, my, a friend of mine used the Bible to justify homosexuality. He came out of the closet as a homosexual and used the Bible to justify homosexuality. Now, he was one of my friends that knew the Bible more than any of my friends, more than I. He had a really good head on his shoulders and was really smart. I have a terrible memory. But I knew he was wrong. And I never got to really argue with him about it. Probably best because I like to argue. (laughs) And... I was told by his siblings who was concerned about it that he used scripture against his mom who used to teach Bible in our church, uh, Sunday schools and youth events and the, the girls with our youth group and whatnot used to teach Bible um, and stumped her, apparently. And I'm like, well, I'm very curious as to what scripture he used because everything I see that ever addresses homosexuality is it's terribly wrong. And just like dishonoring your parents involved death in in here, right? Um, so did homosexuality, and and so how can you use God's word to work around that? And I was really interested to hear what the answer was, but they said they didn't know. It was basically a conversation behind closed doors with the parents, and all they know is that he used Bible to stump them and saying that his sin was fine, and and so. I see it, you know, I can see people trying to find a loophole for their sin, for what is wrong, to do what they want and and find a way around God's word. But there is no loophole. He closes every door when he says, this is how it is, boom, that door is closed. There is no windows. There is no way around this. This is wrong. Moving on. You know, and you, when you're going through like uh, Leviticus, it's like, this is wrong. One, two chapters later, this is what happens if you do it. <laughs> like, let's seal it. Let's seal it. All right, this is wrong. Okay, it's wrong. No big deal. Later, death. Well, that really escalated quickly, you know. <laughs> it was a big deal. So that was my example. Uh, a friend who came out of the closet and... and tried to use scripture to justify it. What it comes down to, and, and I really believe this, is if, if a believer um, comes out and says, my sin is fine, regardless of the sin, whether it's lying, stealing, homosexuality, murder, whatever it is, it, it doesn't matter what it is. It, it's okay for me to do, right? Any time a believer comes out and says that, that tells me, they have zero respect for God's word. Zero respect for God's word. And all they want is what they want. That's what they want. And they will do anything and everything to get what they want. That's our sin nature. That is our sin nature. And and we fight for it. It's, it's a weird thing. I really like 
Paul's statement of, you know, I, I do the things I don't want to do, and the things I want to do, I don't do. That's that's a sin nature, and as long as we're in these flesh bags, we call bodies, <laughs> we're going to be fighting that sin nature. That's going to be a constant battle. Our, our flesh is going to want something, and our spirit's going to identify that it's wrong, but our flesh is going to keep fighting it, and the spirit's going to keep fighting it, and um, we tend to really like our flesh, so we tend to lean in that direction and fight for it. And so um, understanding that there is a spiritual battle is is one of the starts of understanding that um, uh, it is wrong, right? So you can say, like, God's word is true, but God has forgiven all my sins, past, present, and future. That means I can just keep doing it, which Paul addressed that too. (laughs) May it never be, right? Um, But we keep... We keep falling back into that mud. We're like a dog that returns to his vomit. We're foolish like that. Um, but some people, they, they link onto that and they, they stick to it. And th- it just shows a disrespect for God's word and lack of, of understanding. Well, the more you do it, the more you get used to it. And the more you get used to it, the less it bothers you. That's the sad thing. But we really need to push on. We're running out of time quickly. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm not even halfway through, so we got to hurry this up. <laughs> uh, four, 14 verses, thank you, 14 through 23. Uh, 14 through 23, after he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the thing which proceeds out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears, let him hear. Now that part, if anyone has ears, let him hear, uh, that is not in the oldest manuscript, so you won't see that in all uh, translations. Uh, then he had left the crowd and entered the house uh, his disciples questioned him about the parable, and he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated? Thus he declared all the food clean. And he was saying that which proceeds out, out of the man, that is what defiles the man, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts and fornications, theft, murders, adulteries, uh, deeds of covetous, coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within the defile and defile the man. So... In, in this sense, it's, you know, they were so stuck on tradition and, and, and not really stuck on, on God's word. And in their tradition, if you have unclean hands, uh, then you're defiling yourself and you're unholy. Um, but Jesus always focuses on the spiritual, right? That's really what matters. And, and, and what goes in, that's that, okay, whatever, that goes in. What comes out, that that's what defiles you. That's what defiles you. Because I, I live in an environment where there is a lot of profanity and a lot of perversion spoken. By hearing that, that does, does not defile me. That does not defile my soul. Now, if I speak the same way, 
that is defiling. That is defiling, and that is also disgusting. You know, um, I am not considered a pervert if I heard someone speak that way. I am considered a pervert if I speak that way. Kind of the same idea. So it's, it's just because it goes in, that does not what defiles you. It's what comes out. It's the results. What, how, how are you going to handle that? What, what are you going to do with that? Um, I'd like to mull over that more, but we need to push on again. <laughs> Uh, 24 through 30. Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted uh, no one to know of it. He didn't want anybody to know he was there. Yet he could not escape notice because Jesus is in town. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the uh, Seraphonician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was, was saying to her, Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table fed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, Go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child laying on the bed, the demon having left. This is this is Jesus showing his compassion, really. Um, and yes, he did basically call her a dog. And called the children of Israel children, which is, you know, fine. It's appropriate. Children of Israel. It makes sense. Um, I see a lot of passion on both sides. Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> and you, you had this mother. She, she, as, soon, as soon as she heard Jesus was in town, this is like her one hope to cleanse her daughter. And I know that if there was a one hope walking into town and my daughter had a problem... I, yeah, I'd mull through people to get there. They would all be out of my way real fast. You know, I mean, I'm going to get there. Uh, you're in a house and they won't let me in. That's okay. I will knock that door down. I will get there, you know. And so she she did not hesitate. This is her baby, you know. And she, she understood the parable that Jesus gave her, you know, of, you know, we don't give, we make sure the kids eat before the dogs eat. And she, she recognized Israel, you know, I'm sure she recognized that's what he's talking about, and and at the same time, it's like it doesn't, it won't take time, you know, just the little bits on the floor will be enough. I'll take, I'll take whatever you've got, the the very tiniest bit, you know, I'll take it. That'll be enough. And and Jesus is like, um, you understand, because you answered this way, it's done. You you got it. Your faith, your faith is good, you know. Um, so let's push on. Last section, because I'm past my time, but I want to make sure we get through this real fast. Again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of uh, Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to and uh, to say his sorry, implored him to lay his hand. On him, Jesus took him aside from the crowd. He didn't want to do this in front of everybody. 
by himself and put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his uh, tongue with the saliva and looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, that is be opened. And his ears were opened and the immediately, uh, and sorry, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. He had no speech impediment anymore, and he gave them orders to not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. When Jesus does something in your life, it's just too exciting to be quiet. And I think there's an important lesson to to hear here. Um, hear, here. Jesus does something in your life that is exciting, and you want to tell everybody. But we also have to understand there's things that Jesus does in your life that's exciting, and he tells you to do something. You really need to do it. You know, these guys were pretty disobedient, but I don't think Jesus was upset about it. But he was really trying to don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone. But they were like, oh, we got we got it. But the more he told them not to tell them, the more they were like, no, we got it. We've got it. Because it was like almost a reminder every time he said, don't do this. This is like, oh, that's right. You did that. We need to we really need to do this. And they were really excited about it. But we can't be so excited about what God does in our lives as to thwart God's word. If God tells us to do something, we need to make sure to do it. So we may be so excited that God saved us that we go and we hinder our, our uh, uh, fellow friends that are not believers by being so excited about this, you know, about something they're not excited about. They're not ready to hear what you have to say. You've really got to approach it a different way. And so we really, in our excitement, have to tune in to what God is telling us to do and really listen. So...